Well, good morning, Cross Connection. Pastor Mark here. Pastor Miles is away teaching at a men's conference up north, and so he'd asked if I would uh, stand in for him and teach this morning, and uh, he did that a couple weeks ago, and I was excited to teach. In fact, I already had a little something that I was running around in my head, and it was to encourage uh, our congregation in faith, uh, what faith was, how faith works out, and um, we had the story of, of Abraham, and I've been running that back and forth and, and just kind of spiritually just chewing on that. And so I said yes to that, and uh, wow. Um, I didn't realize that uh, you'll be watching the sermon. I didn't realize that um, it was something that I was going to be walking through at a much deeper level uh, than I've walked through in a while. And uh, if you look at just the circumstances of the world, uh, what's going on out there. And I, I hate to always bring that up, but it, it's there. It's something that's, we'd be deaf to not see it. And so it's something that's there and it's something we're dealing with. And as we look, um, we're not being delivered, it appears. Um, we're not being delivered by politicians. We're not being delivered in these world events, aren't getting, didn't seem to be getting any better. Uh, we're not being um, delivered by what's on Facebook or Instagram or on the news. Um, there's, there's nothing that's coming to our rescue, so to speak. And as believers, we know that God is watching over us and out for us, but sometimes um, it's hard to have faith. And I'll say it this morning uh, to my friends, um, you're full of it. We're all full of it. We're all full of something. We're either full of faith, we're full of fear, uh, we're full of doubt, we're full of distraction, we're full of bad opinions and uh, false pretenses. There's so many things that we're full of. And what God is calling us to be is full of Him, uh, full of faith, full of just dependence on Him and to have that attitude of faith uh, that goes along with knowing God. Some of us are failing. We're just looking in the wrong places, uh, those places I just mentioned, and it's causing confusion and fear, uh, sadness, disappointment. And so I'd like to encourage you this morning as kind of a getting back to the practice of faith for some of us, or those who are holding strong and just need some encouragement, I'd like to encourage you this morning. Why is God allowing this? Well, if you look through his word, typically when we are being refined, when we're being tried, when we're being tested, um, it is to build our faith. And not faith in our circumstances, not hope in an easy life, but our faith and our trust in none other than God Almighty. And so I believe these trials that we're facing are calling us to faith and to be strengthened. It says that the just shall live by faith, and I'll tell you, we've been certainly been living that. I'm reminded in the book of Mark, uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 24, there's an exchange with a man who, um, he comes to Jesus and he has a son that appears to have some type of seizures and he throws himself down and he foams at the mouth and uh, there's all the just terrifying things of watching a child go through something like that, but also the social implications that that comes about. And people believe he has a demon and, and uh, this is spiritual and he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus sees the boy and asks a few questions and then uh, he asks the father and he tells the father that we can take this out if you'll only believe. 
and I have to imagine desperately, um, tearfully, the father says, Lord, I want to believe. He goes, but help my unbelief. And so this morning, uh, I pray that this is going to help you if you're unbelieving this morning. Once upon a time, you know, in my career, I worked in a Porsche shop. And it was one of my hobbies to play with Porsches and uh, do uh, autocross racing or slalom racing, amateur racing with what we call them vintage Porsches now. Then they weren't quite as vintage, but it was a hobby and it was a passion of mine. And I worked in this shop and we would work on people's cars. And, and a Porsche at the time was a very high performance and sometimes temperamental um, piece of machinery, uh, these old Weber carburetors and things. And, we would have people that would drive them like, you know, grocery getters sometimes. They would be super gentle with them. And it was a car that was meant to be driven fairly hard and fairly robustly. And the customer would bring the car in and he would complain of all these maladies he couldn't quite pin down. And after the customer left, the owner of the shop, Frank was one of the owners, who was very Italian, would say, Mark, he goes, go to out and take that car out for an Italian tune-up. And I said, what, what's an Italian tune-up? He goes, it's like we drive them in Italy. He goes, go out and just drive it like it's supposed to be driven. Break it hard, corner it hard, rev it hard, rev it high, get it hot. Just go put that car through the test. Go out and beat it. Don't abuse it, don't wreck it, but beat it. Put it through its paces. And I have to say personally, after I agreed to, to you know, teach, um, I didn't think that I'd maybe be in that situation. Um, we have a, I have a brother who's um, currently going through uh, the trial of esophageal cancer, and uh, it's, for all intents and purposes, a, it, it's a terminal illness and a very small chance for recovery. And so praying with him and getting him through that and, and just keeping hope and keeping trust and uh, just trying to stay positive and just waiting for God to move in his life. It's a concern and it's a trial. He's my brother. Um, my mom at the same time was, uh, had a little brush with COVID and so she was under quarantine for COVID. It looked like she had got it and at 84, it's just not a really good thing to get COVID even if you have been vaccinated. So it's, it was a challenge and a worry. And then my wife had been struggling with something going on in her um, throat and uh, they thought maybe she was having a problem with some type of reflux or esophageal problems. And so obviously we were very, very concerned about that. And it had been going on for months and we weren't getting answers uh, and still weren't getting answers. And then myself, I was starting to go through these just strange health problems and uh, unexplainable and just, you know, not really getting the answers that I was looking for or, the, or any type of definition on these things. And so it was a concern and a stress. And all that um, while we're remodeling our home and through all this, you know, just trying to stay uh, in faith and just being real diligent to spend time with the Lord and, and just dealing with all that, um, my daughter, my oldest daughter, uh, while playing at a youth camp, doing a good thing, uh, serving the Lord, uh, contracts COVID and is desperately sick. And to watch a child um, suffer, to be that sick is just, it, it shakes you to the core. Um, it's a concern, um, the stress, the um, looking at those vitals every day and, and somehow 
being encouraged or discouraged by looking at an oxygen meter on her finger or a temperature um, or a, a heart rate um, for almost two weeks uh, going through that, very, very stressful, very, very trying to the faith. We pastors, we preach about things, but we also, we go through them too. And so it's really, really been a challenge. So when I give this sermon, when I talk about this, it's firsthand experience. I'm not telling you and giving you false hope and false encouragement. Um, I believe this and I'm walking in this. So if you're going through some of those things this morning, I'm praying for you and, and I just want to encourage you. And then um, on top of all this, putting a sermon together to talk about faith and then even this morning, my wife woke up with a scratchy throat and um, tested positive on the home test for COVID. Uh, even after my daughter's out of quarantine and doing much better, thank you for your prayers. Uh, we were out of quarantine uh, this morning. She had that test. And so we actually, before I came in here to preach, uh, and thankfully I kept everybody away to keep everybody safe, um, we went and got a test over at uh, our doctor's office. And so um, we pray tomorrow, which will be um, Friday, that we're clear and we're clean and it's just a, a little cold or something. And that uh, Sunday I'll be sharing with you live and in person. Uh, if not, just continue to pray for us. So I feel like I'm going through the Italian tune-up and probably some of you are too. And then I, I'm being, you know, I'm getting worked here, right? But I know it's for a reason. And so the answers to our questions and the answers to why uh, this is going through, I'm quite sure, are in the book of Genesis chapter 22. And so we'll be studying that. Um, Abraham, who's called the father of the faith, and um, he is a man who's failed in faith before. And now in this, this section of scripture, uh, he's brought to what I believe is one of the most ultimate tests of faith ever uh, after failures. And he's brought to this, this test of faith. And I want to look at that with you and just see how he gets through it. Um, as near as I can tell, faith is uh, a journey. It's not a destination. You don't arrive at faith. Um, there's tears to it uh, as far as steps that you take. And uh, I believe when you go on this journey, uh, that we need to pack some things along with us. Uh, I like to do bike packing. And uh, bike packing is when you climb on your bicycle with hopefully with some good friends come along with you and you pack everything you need for your journey on your bike and you camp and you live off your bike, just like backpacking. But that takes a list and it takes intention and you're making that list out and you're counting the days and you're um, looking at your supplies and all those things. You're bringing tools with you, so to speak. So let's pray as we look at what those tools are and we go into Genesis chapter 22. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity this morning. And I can't believe that all these things are going on in my life personally and all these things are going on in the friends' lives, Lord. I can't believe, Lord, um, that um, this is a coincidence and this is for no reason. And Lord, um, this morning my family and I have chosen to come forward and to preach and to teach and to encourage, uh, Lord. And so um, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help us to read and to understand this morning, Lord. Be with us and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we go to Genesis chapter 22, and we look at verses 1 through 2, it gets, gets right to the point. 
It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. Wow. Where do you get the tools to deal with something like that when God directly speaks to him? And one of the things about Abraham is God spoke to him a lot and directed him a lot. Point one on your outline, we increase our faith by spending time in the presence of God. When you go through the book of Genesis and you read about who Abraham is and how he was directed and the good and the bad choices he made, one thing you will see is that he received a lot of instruction. And God um, intervened on his behalf quite a bit, certainly more than I've ever seen in my own personal life. And he is uh, one of the patriarchs, one of the most famous people uh, in the Bible. And it's for a reason. God did great and did mighty things uh, with him. But he received a lot of instruction, and I believe that is because he spent a lot of time spending time in the presence of God, speaking with God, waiting to hear from God, taking that time. I've often thought as I like to get away and go on trips, and you know when you're camping, there's like a, not a lot to do sometimes. You know, people like to hike and do all these other things. I do a little of that, but I'm, I'm a lazy camper. I like to just kind of kick back and... Maybe I'll read my Bible or talk. But one of those things that, that um, I see in that is I think of some of our ancestors, those who have gone before us, and I think they had lives that were very full and very demanding, but I also think they were less busy. Uh, there were less distractions. They weren't looking at their Facebook or their Instagram or their Meta or whatever it was. They weren't discouraged by the news. They weren't, they weren't so busy and engaged with so many things. And I believe they were more intentional about stopping to spend that time with God, to talk to him, to pour out their hearts, and to hear from him. One of the greatest ways to get to know God is through the reading and the knowing of his word. Um, how do you get to know God, his thoughts, his intention, his greatness, his mercy, all the names of God and the things that he's capable of, if you do not read and get to know, become familiar and intimate with his word? Uh, it's just not going to happen. And so um, it's very important. It's one of our tools that we take with us into life is that we spend that time. Uh, I like to do it in the morning. I have a certain spot uh, that I sit and I'll, I'll pray, uh, have a cup of coffee in this comfortable chair and just kind of download and just, you know, ask God about the day and talk to him. And I know that would seem insane to people out in the outside world, but um, you know. Uh, and spending that time with the Lord and then reading his word and uh, being reminded of his greatness, uh, of uh, his providence, of his uh, control of my life in the situations is comforting and uh, it directs my path for the day and it directs where we go. Uh, if we do not know God's promises towards us, uh, we can certainly can't take comfort in them if we don't know them. So reading of God's word, praying. Spending time with God and praying and pouring out your heart, exalting him. It shows us a couple things. Well, it shows us something for sure. Uh, 
to know that you got up and you prayed in the morning, uh, not only are you talking to God, but there's a little bit where you're talking to yourself and you're unraveling your hopes for the day or your concerns for the day. But you're also being reminded that this is something that we do and something how we move forward in our faith. And so praying each day is something that strengthens our faith. It makes us full, uh, so to speak. And lastly, hearing. Um, it, it usually has to be pretty quiet. And sometimes uh, being open to what we hear from God through his word and through praying. Or in case of Abraham, it seems to be an audible voice. Uh, sometimes with myself, it's just a very strong inclination that God confirms with circumstances and scripture. But to hear, and you know, sometimes the things that we hear are not necessarily fun. Um, they're not necessarily romantic or spiritually grand. Um, those things sometimes are uncomfortable. Um, those things are confrontational. Um, those things uh, can be something maybe for somebody else or maybe something that's for ourselves. And so uh, it's a full time and uh, I always love it when I know I've heard from the Lord. But it's, it's not always fun. It's not always something that um, we look at and, uh, or something we're excited about uh, from that standpoint. Now, Abraham had those experiences. Not everything that God told Abraham to do was something that was pleasant as we see in this. And so God's in, or excuse me, Abraham is in a situation and let's see how he reacts in verse three. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of God, uh, the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abram lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. A statement of faith. Despite what God says, he is already stating in faith that they're going to come back. Interesting note. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. Point two on your outline. When we walk in obedience, we worship in faith. When we walk in obedience, we worship in faith. See, we can make a mistake that worship is a room full of people jumping up and down with their hands up. And it can be uh, that worship is a song or it's music or perhaps uh, worship uh, is uh, a place where we're giving something, uh, providing a sacrifice of some type. But worship is also the sacrifice of obedience to hear from the Lord and to do exactly what he asks, no matter how unpleasant the task, no matter how unsure we are of ourselves, uh, no matter how counterculture or embarrassing it can be, um, to worship the Lord by moving forward and taking action and walking in obedience is worship in faith. If you'll notice here, Abraham does not fool around. Um, he is quick to action, to go up, to worship. Uh, what he is being asked to do is scary. 
It's unpleasant, it is uncomfortable, and it is unfathomable. He's never heard this before. Nobody's been asked. This is something that the Canaanites do or the, the pagans do. This is not something that the people uh, who follow God would be called to do. Yet God, God has called him to this place. And so in faith and obedience, um, he does that. And he remembers that there's this promise and this is unpleasant and it's hard because it's this promise with the Lord that he's going to have a child. And this child, Isaac, is he's going to raise up great nations through him. And Isaac is his child. This is the promise. And so this is a hairy situation. It's uncomfortable. And yet he answers in obedience. I mean, it's you look into the little Sunday school felt graphs of this and, you know, Isaac is this little boy with, you know, 12 little sticks on his little backpack and they're going to go up and do this. And if you ever Google how much um, wood it takes to burn a human body, and I didn't because I had Pastor Nick do it because, you know, I don't want the FBI looking for me. But anyway, it takes about a quart of wood, they say. So about what would fit in a standard size pickup truck to, to burn a body. That's, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of taking God at his word and actually putting in the hard work and the sweat, so to speak, into obeying the Lord. Um, that probably wasn't a happy time of gathering wood together. It might have taken more than one trip. And so um, he's doing this. Abraham, the father of the faith, is looking at what is going to happen to the promise and the lineage. Um, I can think of no greater place that um, I and many of you could be challenged than with our children. Um, to put our children in a position uh, that is dangerous and unhealthy and um, could end in tragedy is just unthinkable. And I have to say, watching my daughter over these two weeks being lifeless, um, sick, um, not knowing how this was going to go and this is how to end, and this is despite encouragement of friends who are doctors and nurses and know this and walk through this, that she was doing great. It was hard to watch. And to think I would never, ever put her in that position intentionally. I would never go about that. And it gives me such a appreciation for what Abraham is about to do and what Abraham is about to go through. Um, I'm a grandfather, and I've made no secret of that. I'm very excited about being a grandpa to Colby and to Rose, and now to Robin, who's about three weeks old. And it's different being a grandparent. And one of the things that came along with being a grandparent is getting a little bit longer view of things. Um, looking at not only um, what uh, I've invested in my kids, and my wife have invested in our kids, and where we've led them and, and done but also seeing how that is kind of being now infused into my granddaughter's lives. And uh, it's very satisfying, but it's also very, very humbling. And to look at the effort that my wife and I have put into um, trying to raise our kids in a godly way and to see the effort that um, my son-in-law's parents have put into him and my daughter-in-law's parents have put into her, um, it's humbling. It's humbling to watch the fruit of that. And so you 
you protect your grandkids and your kids and it's they're near and dear and so it's a place that you don't want to get messed with it's a place where um, I'll have to say um, I could be challenged and I could be weak and I could be humbled very quickly um, with that because they're precious and so to Isaac I imagine his or excuse me to Abraham I can imagine that Isaac is extremely precious to him and he is called the father of the faith and he is called the father of the faithful the other thing about faith is, is it doesn't always go like you want. Um, I can pray that my daughter is healed and that she'll be fine. But if it isn't okay, and I have been in the situation where I've pled with God for the life of a loved one, and in my economy it wasn't okay. But in God's economy, there's evidently it was. There was a, a broader meaning to it, a broader value in it than just me being okay. But I know that you can be a person of faith, that God is merciful and just and kind and loving, and it can still go bad in our economy. It can still not go the way that you want to. And so faith is not trusting in the results. Uh, faith is trusting uh, in the creator of those uh, results, the father of our faith the one who loves us, the one who sacrificed for us. And that's tough to put together sometimes, and it can shake us to the bone. And I've met many people over the years that have either decided not to place their faith in God or have lost their faith in God because he didn't do exactly what they thought he should do. And I pray for them. I don't fault them, but I pray for them, and I try to serve as an encouragement to them. In Acts 16, um, we see an example Paul and Silas are, they've been thrown in jail. They've cast a demon out of a, a gal, an unclean spirit it's called, out of a young woman who uh, would, uh, by witchcraft, so to speak, would predict things and be like a, a sayer or sayer. And so um, they've done that. And so this guy's mad at him because uh, she was a prophet center for this other guy. And so he brings an accusation against them. And next thing you know, the whole town's in an uproar. And... Uh, Paul and Silas are taken and they are beaten. They are whipped with rods and um, severely. And then they are thrown in the, um, the bowels, the bottom of a dungeon, which if you do a little historical research is kind of like uh, many times being in the bottom of a septic tank. It's not pleasant. It is horrific. And what is awaiting them after they're out of there? Uh, I can't imagine... Uh, that they're thinking that there's anything great that's awaiting them. Uh, there certainly, uh, I don't believe the uh, Colosseums had been in use yet, but certainly the cruelty of the Romans uh, for this new thing, uh, the followers of the way, the followers of Jesus, the cruelty towards them, uh, the cross, all those things they faced. And they have a reaction, and it's a, a beautiful reaction to their uncertain future. And it's night. And the prison is probably quiet for the first time. And they've chosen to worship. They've chosen to uh, lift their hands, I can imagine, and sing and pray and extol the virtues of God. And as they're doing this and the other prisoners hear this, and I can imagine that, you know, the temptation was not to do this, but they're all chained, but that the prisoners would, you know, throw things at them or, or yell at them or, or threaten them. But as they went ahead and they did this in the faith that goes along with obedience, 
those prison doors and that prison shook and it was split in half and they were set free. And so much so that the jailer was going to do harm to himself because if the prisoners escaped, he would be held liable for it and would suffer a penalty of death. And they, they didn't, they told him not to harm himself, that they were okay and they saw what God had done. And in this, they went from a bleak outlook and a hard outlook they went to a place of evangelism and encouragement and even the guard and the prisoners got saved that day and it started a move of God. Why? Because they're having the faithful obedience uh, to worship. Uh, even when things, even maybe they weren't feeling it, but even when things looked bad and things looked bleak, when everything on the outside, when the news would tell you that they had no hope, their hope was in the right place. Let's go to verses 7. So Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He's probably talking over a big bundle of wood or something. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abram said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood on in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar and upon the wood. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Wow. Point three on your outline. Faith requires us to trust in God's authority. Faith requires us to trust in God's authority. See, Abraham was being put to a test, but Abraham also had promises and knew that God had authority, whether he thought that God would raise um, Isaac back from the dead, uh, or maybe he was hoping at the very last second God would move his hand, whatever it was, but Abraham had passed the test. Abraham had acted according to what God had asked him to do. He had recognized God's authority in the situation and completely believed in it. You cannot have faith without knowing that God has authority. Without uh, having the faith in God's authority, you will not have faith. They go hand in hand. It's interesting that this account of the father of the faith, he gets his name uh, from this, and the father of the faithful. And you can read so much more about this in Hebrews 11, just one of the greatest commentaries on uh, Abraham and his life and uh, the history of the Jewish people uh, is in Hebrews. There's this great commentary on it. Uh, it talks about, in faith, what they did. And so Abraham faced this greatest test of faith in his entire life, and he did this after some pretty big failures. You see, Abraham, um, on his journey, uh, he encountered in two separate 
issues. He evidently Sarah was a real beautiful gal, and so the local inhabitants on two different occasions noticed as he's crossing across their lands, Sarah. And so Sarah, um, they were attracted to Sarah, and they asked, like, who is this? And um, Abraham told a half truth that. Yes, it was his sister that was true, but he didn't come out and say that it was his wife. And so uh, in this last instance, this uh, guy, um, Abimelech, um, he brought Sarah into his home and was uh, intending to make her his wife, another one of his wives. And God had to shut him down and to stop him. And um, he had to go back to Moses and said, what are you doing? Uh, you know, why didn't you tell me about this? And so Moses had failed. He was afraid that they would, it said, kill him on Sarah's account if that was her husband. And so he fails this test on two occasions uh, with Sarah and then goes on later after the promises made to him uh, to uh, uh, that he would have a son when it's not happening as quickly as he wants. He decides to bring in a subcontractor, uh, Hagar, the Egyptian, and um, gets her pregnant. And uh, it was allowed at the time, but not God, certainly not God's um, first choice for sure. He got away with it, but it wasn't God's first choice for him. And he finds out that it wasn't God's first choice for him. And so uh, he creates this situation with Hagar, the Egyptian. In, three huge fails and before he passes this big test. One of the things that Abraham um, struggled with is what we'll call wanderlust. He didn't do well sitting in one place. And so when he followed God from Ur, he goes to a place uh, named Bethel. He calls it Bethel. And it's a pretty good situation. It, it seems like God really wants him to be there, but then he decides that it would be better for him to go to Egypt and then from Egypt to Sodom and camp on the plains of Sodom and then to Shechem. Well, uh, not by coincidence as he wanders out of Bethel is when he meets those three biggest challenges and he fails. And I think of this, it's, it's not a week goes by that I run into somebody that's moving to a different place because they believe it is a place of promise and that for sure God has directed them there. And, um, it's always a place with less people, um, supposedly better laws, you know, a better spiritual climate, all those things. They don't really know that for sure, but there's this wanderlust there. And uh, I think it's interesting that people are wanting to go to, you know, Tennessee and to Idaho and to, um, you know, Montana and all these different out of the way places, but nobody says that God's leading them to, you know, Detroit or East LA. And as Christians, I wonder, like, why wouldn't we be sent to a place that could really use us? Um, my kind of the, what I'm getting from uh, some of this mentality at times is, is that this person, and I've seen this firsthand, it usually doesn't go well. They move their family to a different place and then they get there and they're there a while and they kind of spiritually twiddle their thumbs and wait for the world to end and it doesn't. And uh, many times that person who wasn't serving God here and walking in faith here is just doing the same thing in a different place. And we do not want to be there. Uh, I'm not saying that every time that decision is a bad decision, but you better be hearing from God in that decision. You better be fulfilling and following to complete faith, um, brothers and sisters, not running away from uh, your perceived problems. Um, 
it's uh, it was not good for Abraham and his life. It didn't help his faith life, and it certainly won't help uh, yours and mine. Because his change of location did not fix his faith. And I don't believe it'll fix yours either. In Mark 6, um, talk about unbelief and lack of faith. Uh, Jesus goes back to his hometown, so to speak, and he's walking around. And it says that he was marveled that he um, was uh, astonished at the unbelief of the people. And you see it in Mark uh, 6, 1 through 6. Uh, and it appears, it says that he was able to do a few healings and that he marveled or was astonished at the lack of belief. And it said the prophet is not recognized in his own home. And it says he was able to do little because of their unbelief. It seems uh, that possibly his power was limited in their lives because of their unbelief. Yet we see in Matthew 8 in chapter 5, we see a centurion who has a servant that is desperately sick. And the centurion comes to Jesus as he's getting ready to go do something else. And he comes to this, uh, to Jesus and he says, Lord, I, I need your help. And he explains the situation. And Jesus says, well, we'll, you know, pack up and we'll get right there and we'll get it done. And he says, no, Lord, you don't have to do that. I know, because I'm a man of authority, that you only need to say the word and that it will be done. I know because I have command over people and I say, go do this and they do that and go over here and they go over there. I know as a man of authority, I know what authority looks like. Otherwise, Jesus, I recognize your authority and I have faith in your authority. You say it and it'll be done. And Jesus' reaction to this man who is a, considered a pagan and unclean and not part of God's plan, uh, his reaction is that one day he'll be sitting down at the table with Abraham, with uh, the fathers of the faith, and that he'll be part of this because of his faith and his belief in Jesus, the Messiah. He recognizes that. Uh, we have another instance in uh, Matthew 9.20, and we see a woman who... Uh, is on the other end of the spectrum. She's not a person of authority. In fact, she's an outcast. And it says she has an issue of blood that has gone on for 12 years. And so it makes her unclean, able to get to the synagogue, unable to worship, unable to be touched, unable to be, uh, have associations with people. And desperately, uh, she reaches out and she grabs the hem of Jesus's garment. And he turns around in the crowd and he says, who touched me? And everybody thinks he's crazy. And he says, no, I felt healing power going out of me. And there's the woman, and she's there, and she's humbled. She's probably crying. She's probably very upset. And he tells her that her, her faith has made her well. Because, see, in her heart, she knew that if I only just touched the hem of her garment, that I would be healed. And so Jesus is looking. God is looking for us to acknowledge his authority and to put faith in that authority. Let's go to verse 13. So it says, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram, and it offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, 
By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemy, the gate of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So why? On your outline, point number four. Why? Because they are watching. So who is they? I mean, why should we exercise this faith, right? You and I have our relationship with the Lord and the promise of going to be with him one day. Why do we do that? Well, because they are watching. Who is they? Well, we. You and I, you're watching yourself. Nobody is more encouraged, nobody's more empowered, more, no, nobody is more emboldened in their faith than us when we move forward in faith because we've witnessed firsthand the stress and the strife and the worry, uh, the doubt, uh, the hurt, uh, the challenges, the things that we have to get over when we decide to move forward in faith. And it strengthens us. Uh, one of the exercises I'll do with people when they're having trouble and they're worried and they have anxiety is that I will go back through and ask them to recount all the instances in their life where God has moved forward and the things they were afraid of that God conquered and did in their life. And it's like a, a history, a personal history of encouragement. So they are watching. I think the only two people on that mountain that didn't know what Isaac and Abraham were going to do were Isaac and Abraham. Um, God knew what they were going to do. God knew he was going to pass the test. But I think it was important that Abraham knew what he was going to do and that Isaac knew what he was going to do. Trials and challenges of faith, I think um, they can be very, very lonely. Um, I mean, when it comes right down to it, um, when you're having a crisis of faith, a challenge of faith, yes, there's people on the outside, but it's you and it's God and it's the devil. And those are three entities that are present as you're waiting in this. And you can choose to listen to God and his promises and the people he sends. Or you can choose to listen to the devil and your doubts and uh, the promises that the devil is whispering in your ear, so to speak. But there's a choice in there. And it's not easy at times. And I know that when I recount, I look at back when Jesus is taken away in the desert uh, for 40 days after, you know, fasting and all that and in a weakened state and the devil tempts him. It's Jesus and the devil and the Lord. Nobody else is there to help. Nobody else is there to encourage. And I believe we have that same situation in our lives many times. And it is a lonely and it is a hard place. And I understand and God understands. And it's a challenging place. But it's a place where we're called to have victory. So who else is they? Um, because our children and spiritual children are watching. Please note that in the Sunday school version of this, you know, Isaac's a little boy. He's 10 years old. But in the real life of this, um, 
it appears that uh, Isaac's very close to being a grown man or at least a teenager. In fact, uh, in the next chapter over, he's ready to get married. He's like 40 years old. And so, uh, you know, that's, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but Isaac is a willing participant in this. He's asking questions, I'm sure, but Isaac is a willing participant in there. Uh, his old man, dad, is uh, not in a position to wrestle him on there or knock him out to put him on this 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 altar of fire, so to speak, and to plunge a uh, dagger through his heart. Um, he is in a position to resist or run away, and he doesn't. And I don't believe that he runs away, and I believe he's gained this faith and obedience um, because he's watched his father, even after his mistakes, watch in faith and follow God and trust and do the right thing. So it's imperative that you and I model that for our children but it's also imperative that we model that even for our spiritual children, the people that we disciple, the people that we work with, that we have an investment in, um, the people that look to us for spiritual answers. And certainly there are people looking to us for spiritual answers. They are watching us and they are learning how we should behave in a crisis of faith. They are looking to us on to where our faith is and how much substance there is to it and what we would do. Uh, in a crisis that maybe is the same one they're going through. And so as Isaac learned and hopefully our spiritual children learned for us, who else is watching? Well, we close. Um, the world is watching us. Um, we know that there's an incredible lineage of faith and the father of the faith and father of the faithful through Abraham. And, uh, you know, he's not famous for no reason. He's not somebody that um, we look up to and uh, is important to not just Christians, obviously the Jews, but even people, Muslims, look up to, to uh, Abraham. And so this testimony of faith transcends uh, into other areas. But like that, we have this testimony of faith also. And so in a messed up world, in a world right now that... Um, is looking in all the wrong places for deliverance and for deliverer. We need to represent the true deliverer and the true deliverance, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you. God bless you. And I ask that you pray for me and my family um, in this church as we walk through this together, um, all at the same time with all the same Lord. And so thank you with that. Dear Father, I pray for um, all those that would watch this. I pray they would be encouraged. I pray they would reach out if they're hurting, Lord, and I pray they would reach to heaven. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we trust you. We trust in your promises, and we trust that you are in control even when it seems like there is no control possible, Lord. We place our faith and our trust in you, and it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. And I pray you have a great faith-filled week.